Matthew chapter 21. It is Palm Sunday, thus the green tie. Now, sometimes we actually have given palms out. A few years ago, we gave crosses made of palms. Uh, we didn't do that this year, but I thought, man, I need to do something special. So I decided to wear my, this is called my Cooper tie. Because this is a tie that I wore when I officiated at Chris and Tia Cooper's wedding. So it's kind of their wedding colors. But I wore it today because of Palm Sunday. Last week we were, if you remember right, in John chapter 12. We're kind of trying to follow the path of Jesus here. Uh, today is Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of what we call Holy Week. And there's all sorts of things this week about uh, the last week of, of the Lord's life. But prior to that, if you remember right, uh, and we studied it last week, Jesus went to a dinner party. And it was thrown by Lazarus, his best friend. And Lazarus' sisters were there, Mary and Martha. And that was just a, a little bit before the Passover. He was on his way to Jerusalem. And we learned about how we can be a friend of Jesus, whether it's a Mary kind of friend, a Martha kind of friend, or Lazarus kind of friend. And we explored all that. And today, I want us to pick up where that story leaves off. But instead of being in John, I want you to look in Matthew. Uh, same uh, chronological series of events, Matthew chapter 21. This begins the final act of the drama of Jesus' life. This is it. It's Passover time. We know the Jews uh, celebrated Passover, and that corresponds with our Easter. And it was a very sacred time for the Jewish people. And during the season of Passover, literally tens of thousands of visitors would come to Jerusalem. And part of that is a Jewish law that said if you lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem and if you were a circumcised male, you were required. It wasn't optional. If you were a circumcised male Jewish man who was within 20 miles of Jerusalem, you had to come to Jerusalem for Passover. But there's a lot of people that lived even farther than 20 miles that would come from really every corner of the world at that time to make the journey for Passover. And as Passover approached, Jesus and the disciples who were circumcised males, who were good uh, Jewish boys, they prepared to go to Jerusalem. Now remember at this time, Jesus was at the very peak of his popularity Man, people were really talking. There was a buzz about all the good things that Jesus was doing. And for three years prior to that, his ministry had been very public. And he had traveled throughout the area. He preached, he teached, taught. But, but more importantly even, he did the miraculous, the signs and wonders that attracted people to the gospel. And the word about Jesus had spread like wildfire. We know that the... <laughs> The hierarchy of the Jewish church were getting a little nervous about this guy by the name of Jesus. And they were kind of anxious to see him in person, wondering what, what's all the buzz about? 
And how come there are people who are leaving these Jewish, traditional, uh, religious uh, order in order to follow this guy by the name of Jesus? So Jesus decided to stage his entry into Jerusalem in kind of a dramatic fashion. And he sent some of his disciples ahead to this nearby village. And he said, go get a donkey and a colt. And I'm going to ride this donkey through the streets of Jerusalem. Now that in itself was not significant or insignificant. And I, I preached about the donkey before. Um, it was a fulfillment of a prophecy of the Old Testament found in the book of Zechariah. And Matthew actually is going to quote it in today's passage, which let's read now. Let's stand together, if you would. Matthew chapter 21, we're going to read all the way through verse 17, beginning with verse number 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent these two disciples ahead. Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord has need of them, and he'll send them right away. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that was spoken. Verse 5, say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the full of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I want you to read that with me. Let's read it together. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Once he got to Jerusalem, we're told he entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. You're making it into a den of robbers. The blind and lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Man, their suspicions about this guy had just gone to a, a whole new level. Do you hear what these children are saying? They ask him. And Jesus smiled and said, yes. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? I think it's interesting Jesus used the scriptures 
against these who were trying to criticize him. Verse 17 says he just left them. He went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Lord, thank you for your word that's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher today that we might take this real historical event and we might find things that we can apply to our life here in the United States in 2022 that we might too cry out to you and welcome you into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's take a closer look at our text here. I want to look at four verses specifically. Um, and I want us to learn four lessons on how we as individuals need to welcome Jesus into our life. Does it apply to our church? Absolutely. But remember, well, you can't apply something to the church as a whole without first applying it to us as individuals. Because we are the church. Oh, we meet in this building. I'm thankful for the building, but this is not the church. We are the church. We carry the Holy Spirit within us. So we need, on Tuesday morning, when things aren't going so well, on Thursday night when we're exhausted and our, we've got a short fuse with our spouse and our kids, we need to welcome Jesus into our lives at those junctures. Four things we need to cry out to God in order to welcome into our lives and that he can have the place that he deserves. And the first is found in verse 9. We read it earlier. It says, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shout out a Hosanna to the Son of God. The son of David. Now, the word Hosanna literally means God save us. God save us. That's what it means. So my first point and the first prayer that any of us need to cry out to God is save us. Save us. Now, these people were acknowledging Jesus as the one who could save the people of Israel. But they were looking at it through a wrong lens because they thought he was going to be a political savior. And Jesus has his own spiritual kingdom. Now, back in the Reformation, for whatever reason, I wasn't there. I don't really know a lot that happened there other than what I've read in history books. But the Protestants decided to throw out a number of books that are accepted as part of the Holy Scriptures by any other Christian group that is not Protestant. And one of those books is the book of Maccabees. Now, I've actually preached on Maccabees before uh, on Palm Sunday because you've got to understand the context of why they thought Jesus was coming as their political savior. In the book of Maccabees is the story of this Jewish priest by the name of Judas Maccabee. He led the Maccabeans' uh, rebellion against the Greek at that time. And it was a wonderful, miraculous overthrow. They won the battle, and Judas Maccabees was their political hero. 
when Judas Maccabees came back into the city, they saw him as their political savior, saved from oppression. So we fast forward, these people saw Jesus. He was going to save them from the oppression of the Romans. They were, you know, under severe political persecution and oppression. So they equated his coming into Jerusalem back to what they knew from the book of Maccabees, of Judas Maccabees coming in. Now they didn't know exactly what that meant because we don't understand spiritual things until the Holy Spirit reveals them. You can hear all the information, but until the Holy Spirit flips that switch in your spirit and you go, ah, now I get it. Now, some of them maybe knew that Jesus was on his way to the cross, but most of them saw him as a political savior. They didn't realize in a few days he would be crucified. Not to set him free politically, but to set him free from the sins, the bondage, the guilt, all the things that that they were carrying spiritually that they, through his death, would be forgiven, would have eternal life. Not even his disciples understood the spiritual implication to this day. But they welcomed him, which is important. They cried out to him, God save us, Hosanna. Whether they were thinking political or whether they were thinking spiritual, they were still looking to Jesus as their Savior. And that's a prayer you and I still need to have in our lives. It's a prayer that I would call total dependence upon God. God, save me today. Save me. God, I can't save myself. I can't help myself. I need you in my life. You're not even capable of giving yourself the next breath of life. Your very physical breath comes as a gift from God. We need to understand that we are totally 100% dependent upon God himself. So our first prayer to him should be, God, save us. And that's where a relationship with God begins. If you're here today or watching online, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, that's the first step. It's to say, Jesus, I admit I need a Savior. My sin has caused nothing but havoc in my life and unhappiness and destruction. I need you to forgive me of my sin, to come into my life. That's the first step to being saved by God is to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, we never get to the point, friends, that we will not depend upon Jesus. We never get to the point that we don't need him to save us. You might say, well, Pastor, I was saved back in 1954 at Silver Lake Bible Camp. Well, that's great, but you need saved today, too. You know what I'm saying? Salvation is not a one-time event. It is a total dependency upon God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I know there's some of you today that are struggling with situations that you cannot fix on your own. Ask God to save you. Ask God to save you. Maybe you've been a believer for a long time, but you're still struggling with addictive behavior. 
Maybe just self-defeating habits that's haunted you for years. Make it your prayer. Hosanna! Not just welcoming him in some kind of generic sense, but welcoming him into your life to save you. And again, I'm not talking about the initial salvation experience. I'm talking about victorious, everyday Christian living. That's got to be our prayer. God, save me from my sins. Save me from myself. Save me from the situations I'm facing. I, I, I just can't make it without you. Earlier this week, it might have been last week, Pastor Darth and I were here in the auditorium, and um, there was some, uh, some things set up for a musical that St. Paul's Lutheran School uh, was doing, and they were using our building. And uh, both of us at the same time looked at each other, and our minds immediately went back six years ago to Pastor Bob's service. Pastor Bob's been gone six years now. But we remembered it because St. Paul's was doing exactly the same production six years ago than they did this year. And uh, we left all those things set up and we incorporated Pastor Bob's service around the fact that, you know, he's just departed. He's not gone. We're going to see him again. But I couldn't help but remember, here's this man of God that I and many of us, many of us in this room remember Pastor Bob. We loved him. We respected him. We admired him. He had such a, a grasp on the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament scriptures. And we loved to sit under his teaching. He was a man of the word. There was just so... Yet, at his service, Marge and the family picked out a song that simply said, Lord, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Yeah, you can't even walk. You can't even breathe. There's nothing that you can do, really, without the help of God. And I thought, in all those things I admired of Pastor Bob, the thing I think I admired most is he knew he needed God in his life every single day. He didn't depend upon his intellect, his spiritual maturity. He cried out, Hosanna, God, save me today. And if you and I want to make this journey of holiness, the foundation and complete, you know, uh, stability of our lives, we have to learn how to become completely dependent upon God. And that's the same for our church. Remember, I said we have to apply this individually, but it's also for our church. If we want this church to fulfill our mission to inspire lifelong relationships with Jesus, that's only going to happen through dependency upon God. Our attitude must be, God, we can't do this without you. We need your help to accomplish what you've called us to do. And that attitude of total dependency upon God has to be the message that we communicate to our community. It's not enough for us to build a building, come together, have a worship band, hear some sermons. You know, if all we're doing is attracting attention to ourselves, really what good is that? We need to attract attention to Jesus. That's got to be our voice in the community. 
not about politics, not about entertainment. Our voice in the community needs to be, we've got to cry out, Hosanna, God save us. We need to make it clear. Man, we can't straighten out people's lives, but Jesus can. <laughs> the cry of our hearts have to be the same, God save us. Now, the second prayer that I see here is found in verse 12. The first being, God save us. And the second in verse number 12, it says here, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those that uh, were selling doves. Almost seems shocking, and you're thinking, well, how does that apply to me and all this? But... Hang with me for a moment. As I mentioned earlier, tens of thousands of people came to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. But what I didn't tell you is there was a requirement. It wasn't that they just had to be there in person. They had to pay a temple tax and they had to offer a sacrifice, a specific sacrifice. Now, if you live 50 miles away, it'd be a little cumbersome to bring your sacrifices to Jerusalem. So you waited till you got to Jerusalem to buy your sacrifice to offer, which was obligatory for them. Now, the amount of the temple, temple tax, I looked it up, was one half shekel. And, you know, religion makes everything difficult. Jesus has a very simple message. He loves you. We accept his free gift of salvation by faith. But the Jewish religion was very complicated. And it wasn't that you just had to pay one half of a shekel. You had to pay it in a certain currency. So if you were coming from a different part of the region that used different currency, they wouldn't accept that. It had to be their currency. Now think about that for a moment. I mean, throughout Palestine, there was a number of different currencies used in commerce, all equally valid. But the temple tax had to be the officially approved church currency. So what did they do? Well, in the temple, they sent up money changers. Sounds convenient. So you could come in and you could exchange your currency for the correct currency, pay your half a shekel. Kind of like if you were changing dollars into pesos or pesos into dollars or German marks or whatever. Here's the catch. <laughs> there was a surplus tax. Yep. So it wasn't, well, you give me one shekel and I'll give you two half shekels to pay your temple tax. They charged enormous surcharges on. So you give me a shekel and I'll give you a half a shekel back in the correct currency. See, the problem was not the convenience of being able to purchase your dove or to exchange your currency. The problem was in the greed and the corruption of the system. These money changers were cleaning up. Think about the sincere people making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem from all parts of the, the world where all these different types of currency were being used and they were forced to pay these exorbitant exchange rates 
things haven't changed much. Look at corporate America. Look at the bonuses that the CEOs of some of our corporations make. Selfishness, corruption, greed. And here in the temple, it was a corrupt and oppressive system. That's what Jesus didn't like. Another transaction that took place was the selling of these doves. Doves were used in the sacrificial ritual. The Jewish law required that the dove be spotless, without blemish. And of course, in order to be deemed spotless, you had to have a priest, a recognized priest, lay their hand upon the dove and inspect it and give it the priestly nod of approval. Now, you could buy your own dove, but it was common knowledge that if you brought a dove outside the temple gates, it was not going to pass the priestly inspection. Again, more corruption. And the doves that they sold, of course, were much more expensive than the doves you could get outside the temple. You know, it's kind of like going to the movie theater. You know, they won't let you bring in your popcorn, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. $8 for this bucket of popcorn? But what can you do? They won't let you bring yours in. It's very much the same way in the temple here. So Jesus came and he wreaked havoc and he overturned the tables and the doves and, and, and those who were uh, selling the doves drove them out. And in John's gospel, not in Matthew's, but in John's gospel, it actually says he made a whip, and he set all the animals loose. Now, how does that apply to us? Jesus will not ignore corruption of any kind. It's easy to see corruption in our government. It's easy to see corruption in corporate America. It's easier to see corruption in your neighbor's life. It's a little bit harder to see corruption in your own life. Think about that. I know there won't be a lot of amens, but there could be a lot of ouches, because that's true. The second prayer we need to pray is cleanse me. Save me. But once you save me, Lord, will you begin this work in my life to cleanse me, to clean me up? The theological term we use in the church is called sanctification. You're getting more and more like Jesus every day. But it comes from that prayer and that attitude, cleanse me, Lord, cleanse me. He will not ignore corruption, especially when it comes to matters of religion. I've heard sermons on this story before where the emphasis was placed on really us doing the same thing that Jesus did, you know? And, and that's an easier message to preach. You know, you, you got to stand up for, you know, holiness. If you see sin in, in somebody's life, you need to call it out. You need to call out corruption. Boy, you need to overturn those tables of all those liberal people out there. And you need to do this. No, no, today on Palm Sunday, let's not look outward. Let's let the Holy Spirit look inward. inward. Let's ask the Lord to cleanse us. It's easy to go on a rampart against your neighbors. 
But let's take a look at this scripture through a different angle. Ask yourself, if the Lord walked into the temple of my life, (laughs) are there any tables that he might overturn? Whether it's pride or jealousy or pornography or what elements would Jesus want to drive out of the temple of your heart? In what areas of your life and my life have we made an alliance, a compromise with corruption that really goes against what Jesus has called us to be? I'm here to propose the second prayer on this Palm Sunday is cleanse me. Cleanse my life like you cleanse the temple. Now that's a hard prayer. It's a scary prayer. (laughs) You think your windows are clean till the sun comes out. (laughs) So often we think our hearts are clean till the Holy Spirit puts that searchlight on us. If you're over 50, you'll remember this. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior. Know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be any wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. Lord, take my life, make it wholly thine. Fill my poor heart with thy great love divine. Take all my will, my passion, self, and pride. Take all my will, my passion, self, and pride. I now surrender, Lord, in me abide. O Holy Ghost, revival comes from thee. Send a revival and start the work in me. Thy word declares... Thou wilt supply our need for blessing now, O Lord, I humbly plead. We need the Lord to save us. We need the Lord to cleanse us. The thing about corruption, it rarely happens overnight. It's a gradual process. We move just a little bit away from the middle. (laughs) And eventually... That entire system of our lives is light years away from what God had intended. Our prayer must be, Jesus, cleanse me. The third prayer is hear us. So cleanse us and hear us. And that comes from verse number 15, where it says, When the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the Son of God. They were indignant. Jesus said in verse number 16, from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. He was quoting an Old Testament scripture. It's found in Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. And this is what he wants to hear from us, is praise. That's what he wants to hear from us. Hear us. Hear our praise. You know why we make praise and worship such an important part of our Sunday morning gathering? Because it's important to God. 
He inhabits the praises of his people. And he knows that if our eyes will be lifted up from our problems to our problem solver, from our mountains to the mountain mover, he knows that he can lift the burdens of the weak. The Bible is full of exhortations to praise him. 1 Chronicles 16, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. Psalms 96 says, sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day by day. Hebrews 13, 15 says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually, continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that confess his name. How do we welcome Jesus into our life? How do we welcome Jesus into our church? It's through our praise and our worship. God inhabits our praise. When we begin to praise him, begins to, to, to move us into his presence. Now, I know there's a mistake a lot of people make in their life, and that is they think, well, I can't praise because I'm not worthy. And maybe some of you come in and you think, man, I've had a, a bad week. I've really succumbed to a lot of temptation. I got a lot of stuff in my life. And, you know, someday I'll be cleaned up and I'll be able to praise the Lord. Don't let Satan deceive and lie to you. Of course you're unworthy. I'm unworthy too. We're all unworthy. Listen, it's not about that we're worthy of giving praise. It's about he is worthy of receiving our praise. So whether you're unworthy or worthy in your minds, God continues to be worthy and is welcoming, embracing, using our praise. Man, praise is not about you. I'm sorry. It's not. It's not about how clean you are, how worthy you are. It's about him. Well, the fourth and final prayer, we're looking at prayers from our text that we can apply to our life. First one, save us. We need you every day. The second, cleanse me. If there's anything in the marketplace of my heart, man, Lord, do the work that you need to do, but cleanse me. The third is hear me, Lord. In my state of unbelief, in my state of unworthiness, hear my words of praise to you. And the fourth is use me. Verse 14 teaches us something really important here. It says, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple. And what did he do? He healed them. People's needs are important to God. Your needs are important to God. So people came into the temple. They saw the, the blind and, and the lame, and many would have ignored them. But Jesus was moved with compassion. He took time from all the religious festival to sit down with that blind person, to sit down with that person who needed a little extra encouragement, and he ministered to them. And you and I need to reach out to those around us and bring the healing power of Jesus into their life. You might not be called to go to Spain like Sean has been, but you're called. And you need to be open to be used of God 
Use me, Lord. See, Jesus, in the midst of all the fray, was focused on his top priority. What is his top priority? He said himself, I have come to seek and to save the lost. Oh, I think Jesus did his sacrifice the way he was supposed to. But he didn't get distracted from his main mission, which is to help the lame and the blind and the deaf. And if you read on, you'll notice after he cleansed the temple, he resumed his ministry of helping people. He didn't get sidetracked. He didn't start looking for churches who were having bake sales so he could overturn their tables. <laughs> you know, I mean, some people take this scripture and they, they make it into something it's not saying. He went back and began to heal. And in our lives, we need to stay focused on doing the job God has called us to do. Friends, don't get sidetracked on issues that are not your given priority. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your priority is to proclaim his gospel. Through your words, through your life, through your prayer, through your intercession. Now I know there's times that there's secondary issues in all of our lives that demand our attention. But those aren't the top priority, especially as a church. As a church, we need to keep our priority inspiring people to lifelong relationships with Jesus. And we've seen the last two or three years, a lot of churches get sidetracked. And they have political agendas. And they have social agendas. They have economic agendas. And they have entertainment agendas. Lord, help us as individuals, help us as a church first assembly to make sure that our priority is to seek and to save, to share the gospel of Jesus, to bring people into the kingdom of God through salvation, through faith in Jesus Christ. Our prayer needs to be God use us to do your work here on earth. Just as you, Jesus, reached out to hurting people, help us to reach out to hurting people. Help us to make a difference in people's lives. Oh man, I've gone, gone over my time today. That's because tomorrow, I'll need, I mean next Sunday, I'll need to behave myself because we'll have a lot of guests. And I, I hope you've learned some things out of this Palm Sunday passage that we've read together for decades. I hope you've learned something new today. I wanted to bring a little different angle to it. If you want to see the glory of God rise up in your life, and I think you do, if you want to see the glory of God rise up in our church, we need to focus on these four prayers. God, save us. We are totally dependent upon you. God, cleanse us. Remove everything in the temple of our heart that isn't of you. God, hear us. When we offer our praise, hear us, our sacrifices of worship. And then God, use us. Use us in our neighborhood. Use us in our school associations, our sport associations, in our offices, our workplaces. This is how we welcome Jesus into our life. With those four prayers. Say them with me. God, save us. God, cleanse us. 
God hear us and God use us. Let's stand. You didn't pass that exam. You're going to have to do that again. <laughs> if you want to peek on the back of your program, the four prayers are there. What, what's our prayers? God save us. God cleanse us. God hear us. God use us. Heavenly Father, on this Palm Sunday of 2022, we raise our voices and our hands and we say, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. But Lord, we don't want to just recount a historical event. We want your spirit to show us the truths that we can apply to our life. And I pray, Lord, that each of us throughout this holy week and throughout the rest of this year will welcome you into our life by realizing our dependency upon you, by realizing that there are things that sometimes build up in the temples of our heart that are compromises, that can even be corrupt. God, cleanse us, cleanse us, Lord. And then, Father, hear our prayers as we sing unto you, as we serve unto you. And finally, Lord, would you use us? Would you use us this week to share the good news of Christ with someone? Will you use us and our talents and our abilities to seek and to save those who don't need to hear a political agenda? They don't need to hear more about what's happening in the, the movie theater. They need to hear there is a God who loves them, who gave his son Jesus to die for them. Use us, oh God, to proclaim your gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.